we are in the grips of an opioid overdose crisis in this province, and we have been for more than five years. And you know what? We're not the only ones. This opioid crisis is North America wide. And as we try to find answers to it, there are still questions even about how we got here. Like, how did this start? What can we learn from that? Well, the Lancet Medical Journal and Stanford University have been studying this, and that research traces the origins all the way back to the mid-1990s, and yes, the introduction of OxyContin to the marketplace. So what happened when that drug became available? What did it do to people who were using it? Well, Rob Poole is a professor of social psychiatry at Bangor University's School of Medical and Health Sciences and joins us for more on this. Rob, thanks for being here. Hi, good morning. So what did it do to people when Oxy was available? Like, why did it change people's behaviors so much? Um, the, the, the simple answer is we don't really know. But I think we, there are some things we can say about what might have happened. There's certainly, uh, the first thing to say is that there's a situation in America, the opioid crisis, it's a big uh, social and political issue in, in, in America with large numbers of people dying from overdose of, of, of opioids mainly purchased on the streets um, and with a, with a strong belief that, that the route into um, street opioid addiction has been through prescribed opioids. Um, it, there's probably more to it than that. Um, we know, for example, that what happened, that, that the new um, uh, opioid, synthetic opioid preparations that were marketed from the mid-1990s, predominantly in the first instance by Purdue um, Pharmaceuticals, controlled by the Sackler family, in other words, OxyContin. Um, that, that was introduced in, in, into a number of different major countries simultaneously, uh, but the effects have not been the same everywhere. So if, if indeed that, that is the cause of, of, of the street crisis. So um, it, they, they were introduced into a, in roughly at the same time scale into USA, Canada and, and the United Kingdom. Um, from the figures I know, um, yes, there is a crisis in Canada, just as there is in, in the USA. Um, but the extent of the crisis is less in, in, in Canada. I mean, uh, uh, my recollection is it's about a, about a half number, half the size, per, you know, rate per population um, in, in Canada is, is in the USA. In, in, in the UK, we haven't got the same problem. In fact, um, opioid street opioid addiction is becoming less common in, in the UK. Um, we have got an increased rate of opioid deaths. Um, but that seems to be um, predominantly due to the, the disinvestment of the UK government from harm reduction programs. So we have to ask ourselves if 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 these um, if the street opioid crisis is solely due to the introduction of, of OxyContin, why has it affected different countries in different ways? And there's a number of different potential um, answers to that question. Right. That isn't, sorry. I was going to say, was it the way it was prescribed? Was there, were there different regulations about that? Do doctors do things differently? Well, yes. Uh, well, what we know is that in, in countries that distribute health in different ways, it was prescribed in different ways. So there has been a, a huge increase in prescription of opioids in the UK, in Canada, and in the USA. Um, I, I think, again, the figure off the top of my head is about fourfold in the UK. It may, it's, I think it's probably even larger in the USA, and, and I think Canada's somewhere in between. Um, of course, we, in, in, in the UK, we have 
uh, a fully public system, fund, publicly funded system free at the point of use health service. America has predominantly um, a, 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 a pay-for item service private system, and you in Canada has something that's, that's some way down uh, the, the UK model, but not the whole way. And I think, for example, you have to pay for prescriptions in uh, mm-hmm. in Canada. Um, so, so, so one of the hints about this is that is that maybe something about the, the means of distribution of healthcare has got something to do with it. We certainly do know, and it's certainly the case, that when these drugs were introduced, uh, practitioners set up pain, so-called pain clinics in small towns in America and, they, and, and, and provided prescriptions for highly potent opioid drugs um, very, very freely. Um, but we also know that the prescriptions increased in this country very much, and we were getting the same hyperpotent drugs coming through. So OxyContin, for example, or oxycodone is the, is, is the drug, uh, the active ingredient. Oxycodone is about double the strength of, of, um, of morphine, but eventually we had fentanyl was then, was then introduced into the market. For not, it had been around for some years, but it was introduced into the kind of outpatient market. And, and, and fentanyl is, is, is about eighty times as potent right. as 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 as, um, as morphine. So, and, and and you can see that if and there's always some leakage, of course, from the prescribed medication market into the street market. That's been the case ever since there has been drug addiction. Um, and and you can see that with these drugs, are very hyperpotent drugs, that that, that they're much easier to, to accidentally overdose on um, than, than than more traditional ways of of, of taking drugs. So that's always been a problem with, right. with for but, example, heroin. You don't know how how, how heavily cut the, the, the stuff you buy is. Right. I'm, I guess I'm curious. Then, so is it about the dosage? I wonder. Like, were doctors in the UK not automatically prescribing more and more and at higher dosages, which is what, you know, is which is when people get hooked and then you can't get them off of it. Whereas my understanding is that at low doses, it is easier to get people off of it. Right. Okay. So, so um, w- w- at my particular research interest is, is high dose prescribed um, opioids. Uh, this is to say um, um, prescriptions of more than the equivalent of 120 milligrams morphine a day. This is an internationally recognized threshold for, for high-dose opioids. Now, just to give you some sense of how much that is, uh, if I were to have a heart attack while we're speaking, I'll get taken to hospital and they'll probably give me 10 milligrams of morphine. Okay. Um, and that probably make me quite sleepy. But, of course, as you take these medications, uh, opioids, your body becomes tolerant of them. So you have to take more and more to get the same effect, although that de- the degree of tolerance for different effects of opioids varies. So there's a kind of a tendency to need to take more to get the same effect. So there's a, there's, there's a kind of a, a natural tendency to increasing dose for, when you use these medications for chronic pain. There's also a problem that, the, that there's actually this thing known as opioid-induced hyperalgesia, which is to say that as you become more tolerant, the drug starts to generate pain that you need to take some more medication to, to suppress. Right. So there's a kind of, a, a, for, at least for some people, some people end up on these very high doses, and then it's very difficult to get off because when you try and taper the dose, you get a lot more pain. When you eventually come off, or if you do it very quickly, Actually, the pain—some of the pain—goes that you were, were, goes away, 
although you're often left with the, with the pain in the background. However, addiction isn't solely about taking a medication. The majority of people who take opioids, in no matter what dose they take, won't show addiction behaviours. And addiction behaviours include things like neglecting other, other, other um, important priorities in your life in order to take the drugs, um, taking more than you're meant to take, uh, escalating dose hoarding, um, you know, a whole range of behaviours right. that, that are associated with addiction. Now, so, so, so the, 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 it isn't simply the case that if you take the drug, you will become, you will develop these addiction behaviours. You may find it difficult to stop, but that isn't the same as being addicted in the street sense. Right. That's one of the mysteries around this. How, what, what is it here that, that converts people who are taking the drugs for pain into people who are street users? You know, it is so fascinating. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you very much.